You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're dealing with questions of partnerships and questions as to how you can establish an Erev without actually establishing it yourself. And we can see that when there are going to be many people involved, maybe the whole city's involved, maybe many people in an alley or in a courtyard, it's going to be really important to be able to do this without physically doing it. And that's the question that the Mishnah, the last Mishnah of chapter 7 addresses. And of course, and this question of how we, you know, how we establish these Erovim without physically doing it. That this question of agency will spill over into the next chapter, chapter 8. And the Mishnah brings two examples which seem to be completely identical. And I would say that we, we had trouble understanding this Mishnah on Thursday. It, this is one of those Mishnah which is, I would say, practically incomprehensible without looking at the commentators. And maybe that tells you something about the style of Rabbi Yudanasi. But let, let's just let's just read over it again. With fresh eyes. A person gives a coin, a ma'a coin, to a shopkeeper or to a baker, so a professional person. In order to acquire a share in the Erov. So he hands over some money. And this is Divrea Rabbi Eliezer. This is according to Rabbi Eliezer. Now, so far, what have we done? Well, we've handed over some money. But we haven't acquired any, we haven't bought any produce. We've handed it over to a shopkeeper or baker. Maybe if we had acquired, if we'd been given back some produce, we could make a kinyan on the produce and then we could contribute that produce to the Eruv. And we learned before that in order to take possession of a movable object like a loaf of bread in the legal structure of the Mishnah, you take possession of an object by lifting it. Handing over money for it doesn't confer title transfer. So it's quite unusual. I, I mean, I think English, English law is probably different. I think English law, if you sign a contract and you, and you transfer funds, you probably can acquire rights to the object. Anyway, in the law of the Mishnah, the transfer of money is absolutely irrelevant. The way you acquire title is by lifting up the object. And in this case, we haven't lifted up the object. So we don't have title over whatever the shopkeeper or the baker might make. And that's why the sages are going to say, His money doesn't acquire a share for him. In other words, he might have had it over the money for the shopkeeper. And maybe he's got, a I don't know, some kind of forward contract on a loaf of bread. But he hasn't got a forward contract on an Erev. But, and there's a but, Umodim, they agree. Umodim, Bishar Koladam, they agree with all other kind of men. This is other men other than shopkeepers and bakers. So just an ordinary guy. Umodim, Bishar Koladam, Shezachulum Altav, She'ein Marvin Ladam Elamitnato. With all other cases, his money may acquire because one only prepares an error for someone with their consent. And the Mishnah seems to be talking here about 
a slightly different situation. Rather than giving the baker a coin and asking him to um, contribute some bread to the Eruv, I'm going to just go up to a guy, an ordinary guy in the street who's not a baker, who's not a shopkeeper, and I'm going to give him some money and I'm going to say, look, I make you my agent. To, to I make you my agent to establish my share in, in the Eruv. You are now my agent. So you go and take that money, you get the bread, you take possession of the bread by lifting it up, and then you contribute it to the Eruv. So you take the money as my agent rather than as my vendor. And that seems to work because, according to the sages, we need someone's consent to prepare an error. They give consent by handing over the money, appointing the agent, and telling him to go out and do whatever is necessary. So these are these are one case is a vendor case, doesn't work. The second case is a agency case and it does work. But Rabbi Yudah is going to object. Or he's not going to object, but he's going to restrict. Amar Rabbi Yudah. Bame Devarim Amorim. Rabbi Yudah is going to say, oh hang on, what are we talking about here? What case are we talking about here? We're talking about um, an Eruv Tchumim, a Shabbat border Eruv, an Eruv that deals with the 2000 Amot boundary. We're saying that this rule about requiring consent to set up an Eruv only applies to the Shabbat border Eruv. That's puzzling. Let's just, let's just keep going. Let's just hold on to disbelief for a second. Let's just keep going for a bit. With an Eruv Chatserot, a courtyard Eruv, we can make an, an Eruv with someone's consent and without someone's consent. In other words, Rabbi Yudai is saying for the courtyard Eruv, you don't require the consent. And that is a sect, effectively what we learned, by the way, when we learned the Halacha, of the, the alleyway Eruv. Do you remember when we learned about the alley Eruv? When we learned about the alley Eruv, let's go back to um, Mishnah 7, 7-6. Um, when we learned about the, Arav, the alley Eruv, and we're going to come back to this subject in a minute, by the way, we learned, Ketzad Mishtat Tefim B'mavoi. How do you take partnership with an alley? And someone can place food in a jar and say, look, this belongs to all the residents in the alley. And he appoints one person, maybe an adult son or a daughter or a servant or whatever, to represent the people of the alley and to take possession of the jar. So once someone is, he's going to put the food in the jar and someone is going to lift it up to take possession of it. And that's just one person representing all of the other residents. The other residents don't even have to know about this. But somehow they participate in the Eruv because one person has agreed. So in the Ali Eruv, we're making it without their knowledge. And that's what Rabbi Yudah is going to tell us at the, at the close of the chapter. Let's go back to Rabbi Yudah now. Rabbi Yudah says this concept that you need consent to prepare an Eruv, it only applies to the Eruv Tchumim, to the 2000 Amot boundary. It 
doesn't apply to the courtyard Arab, because as far as the courtyard Arab is concerned, because you can you can benefit someone in his absence. You can't put an obligation on someone when he's absent. Rabbi Yudai is pointing out there's a difference between the courtyard Erev and the Erev Tchumim, the Erev of 2000 Amod. The courtyard Erev is an unalloyed benefit. It just allows you to walk in and out of your house, in and out of your house into the courtyard carrying things. But the Erev Tchumim, the Erev for 2000 Amot outside the city boundaries is restrictive because you can now walk in one direction but you can't walk in the other. It imposes a restriction in one direction just as much as it imposes freedom in the other. Remember we learnt you can either make your Arab to the west or to the east. You have to choose. And if you make it to the west you can't walk to the east. Rabbi Yudai is saying, gosh, if you're going to restrict someone's activity on Shabbat, he has to know about it. And that is the question which we return to in the, in the beginning of the next chapter in chapter eight. And we, we're going to refrain, we're going to repeat the material that we learned in uh, Mishnah six, in, halfway through the previous chapter, but slightly differently. We learned in the previous chapter, how do you make a partnership in an alleyway? And now we're going to learn How do you make a partnership in an Erev Tchumim? And it's the same thing. You take the barrel. You take the barrel of food. And you say, you take the barrel of food and you make a declaration. A slightly different declaration. This is belongs to all the residents of my city. For anyone who may desire to go to a house of mourning or to a house of feasting. Remember that the Erev Tchumim, the Erev over 2000 Amot, is designed to perform a mitzvah. We learned about, for example, hanging around the Shabbat boundary in order to prepare shrouds for a dead person or a coffin. Or maybe we can... Anyway, we can use the Erev Tchumim for a mitzvah. We can't just use it generally. And the, the Mishnah is going to sort of make that clear in a tangential kind of way. And we're going to learn that people have to accept on themselves the Erev Tchumim. They have to be conscious and aware. Someone has to know while it's day that they're going to run with this Erev. Mutar, if they know during the day, mutar is permitted. They don't have to physically participate in the, the food in the barrel, but they have to know. Mishetechshach um, asur. If they found out about it after dusk, it's forbidden. It doesn't work. She'eim arvin mishetechshach. Because after dark, we can no longer make the Erev. For some kind of, we've learnt, talked a lot about the importance of intention and knowledge. It turns out for some kinds of Erovin, intention and knowledge is necessary. And for others, it's not necessary. Let's try to, let's just go learn one more Mishnah, which is again a parallel to the Mishnah that we learnt earlier, um, uh, after we learnt about the Erov in the, um, in the alley. 
Uh, a couple of Mishnah uh, later, the Mishnah asks, how much food do we need in that barrel? And now we're going to ask exactly the same question. Kamahushiru, how much food is necessary? And the answer is the same. Muzon Food for two meals for each person. And each person seems to be, we talked about this at the last chapter, it, we seem to be talking about really food for one person, or at least for one person that participates up to a certain quantity. We're not talking about food for two meals for everybody in the town, because that will be an gigantic quantity of food in that barrel. Now, Rabbi Meir is going to say, weekday food, week, you know, what are we, what kind of two meals are we talking about? Weekday meals. It's weekday food, not Shabbat food. And Rabbi Yudah says, he differs. Rabbi Yudah says, Rabbi Yudah says, Shabbat meals are not weekdays. But the Mishnah adds, Both intended leniency. So it seems as if Rabbi Yudah thinks that Shabbat meals are smaller than weekday meals. Because we've got three meals on Shabbat. We've got many, many different dishes. So we might need less bread at each meal. And Rabbi Meir thinks, well, Shabbat's great. You know, we eat more. We might even eat more and more. Maybe even there's a larger quantity of dishes that will require more bread. So Rabbi Meir thinks Shabbat meals are big and he wants to be lenient. So he says weekday. Rabbi Yudah says, no, 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 Shabbat meals are small because we have three of them. So he's going to be lenient too, but he'll say Shabbat. And then Rabbi Yochanan ben Broker is going to actually give some real quantities. Um, he says not less than a loaf that's purchased for a pondium when the price of wheat is for sale for a seller. That works out about six eggs on a costing, on a sort of cost ratio of 50%. And Rabbi Shimon says two-thirds of a loaf when three are made from a cub, and that works out at five and a, about five and a third eggs. And a half this loaf, that's three eggs or two and two and uh, two and um, four sixths, two and two-thirds for Rabbi Shimon, is a size pre- prescribed for a leprous house. You can, if you stay in a house where there is tumah, where there's, um, where there's, where there's, um, uh, tzarat, you can acquire the tzarat by, st- by staying there long enough to eat a meal. So the question is, well, okay, what size meal is that? And, uh, apparently that's half the size that is required to, for the eruv. And then half the size again, Half of half the size leaves soul et ha gviata disqualified for one's body. That's in terms of actually eating food that's tame. Generally, you have to, if you're going to acquire tumai yourself by eating food that's tame, you need to eat a certain quantity, and this is half of the half. And we haven't got time to explore that. I'm way over time, sir. But I, I put the basic calculations out on the source sheet so you can analyze them later if you want. And we'll return to more of these questions as the Mishnah develops over the rest of the chapter. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.